Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Duclat. Julie, what is the largest organism on Earth? Uh, I'm going to cut you off. It's a blue whale, right? We can just go home now. Yep, that's it. Yeah. All right. Hey, thanks for listening. Well, okay, most people think it is the blue whale. To be fair, right? And it is the largest sea animal, right? Yeah, for sure. Largest mammal by by far. Larger than any dinosaur that uh, that we know of. 200 tons blue whale. And it extends the length of 110 feet, which is pretty massive. Um... And, you know, just just to put that into perspective, 200 tons is about as heavy as eight DC-9 aircrafts or 15 school buses. Wow. 110 feet is longer than a basketball court. And about 100 people can fit in a blue whale's mouth. Wow. 100 people. You can have a party in a blue whale's you mouth. You could crawl inside its heart, right? Yes, you can, yeah. actually. And that, that is not an exaggeration. A human could crawl through its major arteries and hang out in the heart. Oh, Wow. I mean, that is that is huge. What in the world could be bigger than a blue whale? Like I imagine a blue whale going for a medical checkup and they're like, oh, I'm sorry, your, your arteries are clogged. And they're like, oh, is it cholesterol? It's like, no, it's um, it's 13-year-olds. They're just clogged. How do you get 13-year-old kids in your arteries? Right. I mean, if you're going to eat 13-year-olds, just make sure they're not on a diet of potato chips. And, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. and of course, they don't eat 13-year-olds. They don't. They eat very small creatures. Yeah, something like, uh, you know, millions and gazillions. That's mm-hmm. not the actual stat. Uh, but of krill. Yeah, right? we've talked about before, like when you have a, a, a super large organism, they are essentially crowned atop a throne that sits on a pyramid of bones. Yes. And the various and these bones represent all the animals that uh, and and lower down on the pyramid, uh, the vegetation that has to uh, has to die for that animal to live, and the pyramid for a blue whale is pretty vast because it's all these uh, these these tiny organisms that it eats at the bottom at the base of the pyramid. Yeah, but it turns out that there there is an organism much much larger mm-hmm. than a blue whale, and its pyramid of destruction is really spread out for you know thousands and thousands of acres. Wow. Now I'm excited. What could this possibly be? Is it is it some sort of even larger whale? Is it a super whale? Like a Godzilla whale? A King Kong whale? I don't know. It's it's something enormous, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, well, yeah, we'll just cut to the chase. It is a fungus among oh, us. Like a giant mushroom that stands as tall as a city. Yes. It is a cousin to the white button mushroom. You know, mm-hmm. those cute little mushrooms that you see in the package at the grocery store. It is called Amarillaria ostoye. Okay, and it's known as honey mushroom for its yellowish cap, and it's, I think it's got a fruity little essence to it. Yeah, do not eat any mushrooms, period. This l- l- yeah, yeah. L- let us just go, I mean, except for the ones that your mom cooks for you and gets at the uh, the grocery store. But I'm saying don't eat any wild mushrooms by any means, though apparently the ones we're talking about, they are edible for most people. But again, don't, just don't, know. don't eat any wild mushrooms because we talked about mushrooms. Yeah, yeah. Thank you that we had to mention that. Yeah. We care about your health. But this fungus actually causes amalaria root disease, which kills, you know, wide swaths of conifers in many parts of the U.S. and Canada. Right. And so it's easy to spot where it has been because death follows in its footsteps. Yeah, but not so easy to spot where it's going or where uh, it actually yeah. may be in other parts. And the reason is because it's just a really pervasive disease. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult to deal with because it uses these dead trees as a food base. But mm-hmm. it also 
will live in the stumps of trees that have been cut down because they're dead, right? Mm -hmm. And not only that, but it can grow through direct root contacts and graft with uninfected trees. Okay, so it can travel via underground networks to uninfected trees and strangle those to death by uh, sapping out all of its nutrients. And then um, it also, and this isn't, isn't quite as common, but it can propagate through spores. So, you know, you've got spores through the wind that are mm-hmm. carrying it, and, you know, maybe like a, a mile later, you know, boom, there you have a spore infecting that area. Mm-hmm. So I think it's interesting, especially that it can live in that stump for 50 years waiting for new growth. Yeah, it's so long-lived, and though I exaggerated earlier about a mushroom as big as a building, its size is not of that nature. It's it's spread out over uh, long distances. In fact, uh, like we're talking acres and acres. Like uh, there was one particular individual that covered over fourteen hundred acres, I believe, uh, near uh, Mount Adams in Washington. Yeah, definitely acres and acres. There's one patch that actually covers two thousand three hundred and eighty-four acres in the soil of Oregon's Blue Mountains, and this wow. is according to Scientific American. Their article, "Strange but True: The Largest Organism on Earth Is a Fungus." Wow, I think they really ought to embrace that in Oregon. Oregon's not yeah. which which state is big sky country? Montana, I believe. Okay, well, Oregon should be a big mushroom, big fungus country. I think there are actually fungus fests, and I believe this ties back to the first occurrence of of discovering these massive fungus underground systems. Come out for fungus fest. I'm not kidding. Who will be crowned the fungus queen this year? The fungus fest queen. Man, I wish I had that sash. But yeah, I mean, this stuff is, is pretty crazy. It just moves from root system to root system, old root systems. It's some serious fungus, I guess if you could say that. It has a cousin in the form of Armillaria gallica, which is less easy to find because it doesn't like wipe out things in its uh, path quite as much. But it's uh, widely distributed in the Rocky Mountains. And again, it also, you know, it's, it's, it's in the ground, it's feeding on things and, uh, on hardwoods, and uh, it's pretty widespread too, but it's uh, it's harder to really pinpoint exactly how big uh, those organisms are. Yeah, and the uh, fungus was actually discovered when a team of forestry scientists set out to map out the population of this pathogenic fungus in eastern Oregon, mm-hmm. and they paired fungal samples in Petri dishes to see if they fused, which is a sign that they were from the same genetic individual. Yeah, that's the really key thing here. It's, yeah. This is not a population. This is one genetic individual. Right. Yeah. It seems like it seems sort of unfair to say, oh, well, how could this be one organism? But and in fact, it is the same genetic individual. And uh, they also use DNA fingerprinting to determine where one individual fungus ended. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, there's a, a biology professor by the name of Tom Volk. And in terms of talking about what constitutes an individual organism, he says it's one set of genetically identical cells that are in communication with one another that have a sort of common purpose or at least can coordinate themselves to do something. Okay. And isn't that very much like, you know, humans, right? Well, I mean, you have all these functions in yeah. your, your body that are coordinating with one another uh, for me to even like be gesticulating with my hands right now, like I like to do. Yeah. Well, we're not as good about coordinating things, I guess. No, uh, within our own body. Yeah. Right. But I mean, if, if I mean, are you, oh, I thought you were talking about human culture as a whole. No, right? no, okay. no. I'm talking about like within my oh, within our own body, we're, within my we're own little good. meat sack. Yeah, I have all sorts of signals, and we're all hopefully on the same page and trying to, you know, mm. I'm I'm an individual, right? Right. An individual organism. Right. I see what you're getting at. It's like how many individuals make an uber individual, right? Uh, right. A and meta that, individual. A meta individual. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And that's important to note because you would think that like the mushrooms or the fungus. Um, 
that you think of it as more like this collection of when, in fact, it's one organism working in concert. Right. And that is why it is so huge. Yeah, we've talked about in the past the microbes in our gut and bacterial colonies in our body and and how you break it all down and it's like that's what we are. You know, we're all these tiny communities that make a larger community. And the being itself is engaged with other beings and it's just an endless maze, a circle and a spiral, that kind of thing. Indeed. Uh, Now, there are other particularly large organisms. I found it interesting that a case can be made for an aspen clone in Utah. This comprises approximately... 47,000 stems of root sprouts origin and covering about 106 acres. So it looks like you look at a picture of it, and it's called the the Pando clone, and you find it at Fish Lake National Forest, southern Utah. It looks like a forest. You don't say, wow, look at that organism. You go, oh, look at all those trees. They're kind of boring looking. But actually, they're genetically identical. They're clones. So you can make the argument that that is one organism covering that vast territory. And yet that still isn't as large as this one particular fungus. Exactly. Uh, another big contender, of course, is the, um, or it's not really a contender, it's pretty much beat by this fungus, but the giant sequoias, of course, can get uh, pretty yeah. huge. They can exceed a 1,000 tons, and they're, they're really impressive to see, but not as impressive size-wise as the fungus. Well, let's take a quick break, and when we get okay. back, let's talk about how this fungus communicates its message of, hey, let's be one big organism and take over the world. Hippie funguses, when we return. All right, we're back. Okay, so we've talked about this fungus, how it grows primarily along tree roots via hyphae, which are fine filaments that mat together and excrete digestive enzymes. Oh, there you go. How cool is that? The fungus also has the unique ability to extend these flat shoestring-like structures, and that bridges the gap between food sources and expanding the reach of the fungus. Yeah, I saw a picture of these root-like, hair-like structures and mm-hmm. it, it looks just like just kind of like nasty black hair like maybe you just like unclogged a drain or something yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it, like it's it's pretty much what it looks like yeah like kind of you know seaweedy yeah also too maybe not quite as thick but yeah the very stringy and uh yeah it's not pretty stuff but it does the job mm-hmm. and i think it's fascinating that it does that that it uh, it all pulls together to extend that reach so that if there is no food source it can travel you know a couple feet down or 50 yards down to, you know, basically strangle off <laughs> yeah. a tree system uh, and its roots and get those nutrients for itself. Yeah, the um, the plant world is a pretty, it's a much slower world than the animal world. It moves at a, at a, at a, at a much slower pace, mm-hmm. but it itself is a pretty violent and uh, competitive world. There was a great episode of, um, I believe it was Life, uh, the uh, BBC Discovery uh, co-production, yeah. and they did a, a great job of taking footage of plants, uh, of vines growing, and then speeding it up. And you really get to see the plant world more at like the, the pace that it exists by putting it more in a human framework. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's just as as cruel and vicious and and competitive as the animal world. You know, uh, recently I was in Belize, and uh, we were inland in the, the jungle area of the Lemonai ruins and there was this incredible tree actually there were several of them but one would just completely stood out and it was i don't it was an incredibly tall tree like 100 feet tall mm-hmm. but it had been encased by this um vine oh like a strangler fig type of thing yeah mm-hmm. and it had grown so thick it had basically created a sarcophagus 
around this tree with all of these very thick, some in some uh, cases like a foot in diameter, wow. thick vines coming down. And that tree was dying underneath there. It is completely lethal. But as you said, you know, these, these things happen really slowly. And who knows? It could be another 50 years before that tree dies. But to see that, mm-hmm. to see this, this, um, this vine choking off this tree, it's just, it sort of, uh, brought to mind this idea of, um, the, the invisible world, you know, happening before our very eyes, I guess you could say. And size really mattering in nature, because mm-hmm. we've talked about morphological limits before. And we, when we think about size mattering in nature, we think about predation, right? right. And you, like you said, you know, there's a creature standing atop the pyramid of bones. And in terms of this fungus, it's a bit different, right? Because again, those bones would be sort of spread out. Right. And there's no one real predator for this fungus other than it's not the a really environmental tall pyramid, conditions. but it's very broad. Yeah, yeah. It's very easy to scale. But, I mean, you know, of course, again, if you if you want to survive, being larger it, it helps, right? Because yeah. you don't want to be eaten by your prey. But if you're a fungus, you've got your environmental conditions to contend with as prey. But you're also the predator in your ability to, say, pounce on the root systems, yeah. those conifers. While other plants are doing are very much in the height game of like, I need, we need the sunlight is the key, so I'm going to get that sunlight. Well, other plant, the plants as opposed to fungus. But right, yeah, right. Not so you still, yeah, so size still does matter because mm-hmm. you have to spread out in order to conquer. All right. Well, we got a little extra time on this one, so let's haul out some listener mail and see what uh, folks have been saying. Let's crack the seal. Oh, thank you, Arnie. Oh, oh yes. Sorry. Not that seal, Arnie. <laughs> Don't crack. Seals. Whiskey. Uh, I was thinking he's cracking a seal. Like, oh, you know, no. He's a robot. He has no. No, uh, I know. He yeah. doesn't. Yeah. Didn't care. All right. So here's a little listener mail from Jackie. Jackie writes in and says, Dear Robert and Julie, fascinating thought that tidally locked perpetual darkness. I've spent the last couple of days contemplating this in my spare time. I'm particularly enchanted with the idea of everyone living in the twilight zone. Uh, this, of course, being if you had a, a planet that. Uh, one side is always facing the sun, and the other side is always facing the outer dark. Um, you would have one side that's super hot, one side that's, uh, that's frigid, and then you would have this ring, uh, this twilight zone, mm-hmm. uh, that would, in some cases, be um, habitable. Uh, or some, at some could support life. Could, could theoretically support life. Uh, Jackie continues, Anyway, just wanted to say thanks for the thought-provoking and story-inspiring episode. Julie, your wish for stories about this has just been granted. Keep up the great and occasionally inspiring yes. podcast. So, yeah, I love it when uh, we can inspire fictional imaginings of what's possible, uh, you know, in another world. And, and don't be shy. Send it to us. I mean, if you're wanting someone to look at your stuff, I'm, yeah, I, I speak for myself. I'm more than happy to look at it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, by all means. Ah, here's another one. Daniel writes in and says, hey, dudes, I'm listening. <laughs> I kind of want to do it in a dude voice. Um, hey, dudes, I'm listening to your Tidally Locked episode, and you asked... For an example of another author who wrote on the subject, I was immediately reminded of Vonnegut's Sirens of Titans, where on the tidally locked Mercury, the intense burning of one half and the utter cold of the other meet to produce a planet-wide vibration. Spoilers aside, deep in the planet are creatures who feed solely from this planet-wide humming and excrete light. They have no eyes or ears, but instead are drawn to any pulses of a movie... Oh, and then he does a movie trailer guy voice. And even a beating heart. Read it. Time to push the 30-second uh, button back six or seven times. Keep up the good work. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's cool. Sirens of Titan is uh, one that's been on my bookshelf forever. 
like I think it was one my dad had, and I don't think he ever read it. I'm trying to continue the the legacy of not getting around to read Sirens of Titan, I guess, but maybe I should maybe I should change that. Well, he had me at excrete light. Now yeah. my interest is peaked. All right, here's a little listener mail from Christy. Christy writes and says, Hi, Julian Robert. I recently heard the Sword podcast, and it hit a note with me. When I was a kid, my mom used to tell me all about the stuff she grew up with, lots of antiquated stuff. One story was a pair of double-bladed ceremonial Spanish greatswords. Wow, where did she grow up? I know. Uh, she told Imagine her a in a castle. castle yeah. She told me they were uh, something like six to eight feet long with scalloped edges. I had a hard time believing her until I went to my grandmother's house and saw them on the wall. They were just as advertised. Unfortunately, I don't know what happened to them. Uh, and I was 10 when I saw them, so I'm working from long-term memory. They're probably in a museum somewhere. I've read many books about knights and swords, uh, this size being used, but until your podcast, I had my doubts. Having listened to the podcast, I understand they didn't weigh as much as they looked like, but on the wall, they look like they weighed a ton. I haven't heard uh, too much listener mail on the subject. I'm wondering how common the scalloped edges were and if they were only for ornamentation or served a purpose. I don't think uh, you mentioned this aspect. Uh, Interesting. Thanks, and keep up the great work. Christy, scalloped edges. I don't know. I I have to look into that. I was going to say you'd have to see. I mean, there are a lot of edges that actually had some ornate etchings in it and and some... I don't know the the shallowness of the scalloping, you know, because that would certainly affect the way that the, the sword cut. But who knows? I mean, it could be... Could be that it was actually in working order. I can't help but imagine a sword that is actually edged with scallops, like uh, like baked scallops. It would be delicious. Yeah. Oh man, scallops. Now I'm just thinking, yeah, yeah, potato scallop swords, casseroles. All right, so that's uh, that's all the listener mail we have. By all means, send more. Uh, we should also make a quick note: uh, if you're listening to, the, to this podcast and you're and you're asking yourself, where are the seven deadly sin podcasts? Because we've uh, at this point, when you're listening to this, I think we're like four into it. Yeah. And so there are uh, three remaining. We are going to finish the series. Yep. Uh, Lust, uh, uh, Sloth, and Anger. Yeah. Uh, and those are pretty darn exciting sins right there. Yeah, three really exciting sins coming your way. So expect those in the weeks ahead. And while you're waiting for those, feel free to drop by our Facebook page where you may like us. We are stuffed to blow your mind on Facebook. And if you like us there, you know, and follow us there, we were always updating that with all sorts of cool stuff, wacky stuff, weird stuff. I mean, stuff that's coming up in our research, stuff that's coming up when we're momentarily distracted from our research. Updates about the... Just if your cat on your head while you're working. Yeah, standing on my shoulders Mm -hmm. um, and uh, trying to help me when I'm uh, teleworking. All sorts of, uh, of good stuff. Again, Facebook, stuff to blow your mind. And then we're also on Twitter. You can find us there where our handle is blow the mind. And you can also drop us a note at blowthemind at discovery.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House to Fork staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow.